Praise the Lord. I invite you to once again open with me. And this time to the book of 1st Corinthians. We look at the book of 1st Corinthians. Chapter 11. And I begin reading from verse 17, even unto the end of this chapter. And then we'll pray, and we'll study God's Word together. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we might not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment." And the rest I will set in order when I come. 
And now let's bow our hearts in prayer. Blessed God, we give you thanks. Thank you for your word, which is unchanging. The word that was applicable to the church at Corinth is applicable unto us even now. And it shall ever remain applicable. The word never grows old. Therefore, God, help us that we shall discern the truth from your word. And we shall order our steps according to your word. For indeed, your word is a lamp and a light. And it is also like fire. God, we praise you for preserving your word for us and giving it to us in a language that we can understand and also for giving us the Holy Spirit, our teacher, who teaches us all things, reminding us of what you taught us. God, now we pray that you would bless the speaker and all the hearers and may the words of my mouth And the meditation of all our hearts be well-pleasing in your sight. O God, my Lord and my Redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For as many of us as have been part of uh, Reformed Church, we know that this portion is read consistently during the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table. Now, I might use the words the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table interchangeably. It refers to the same thing, the one that the Lord instituted. Now, we'll cover fairly solid ground, so I want you to remain alert. Pray for yourself that the Spirit of God would help you and that there will be no distractions. We read 17 verses and we are going to read more from the Gospel of Luke and also from Galatians and John and all these scriptures. But then primarily the focus is to have a study on what is the Lord's table. What is its significance? Who may partake of it? And how do we partake And what are the consequences of an irreverent partaking? Now this much ground we need to cover. And we have about 45 to 50 minutes with us. Conservative scholars, they agree that the letter to the Corinthians was written prior to any of the Gospels. So Paul, when he says in verse 23 that I delivered unto you what I received of the Lord, he was speaking the truth. In the sense that it was not from any of the Gospels that he he received this instruction about the Lord's Supper. Neither was he in the upper room on that day, but as he said that I received the Gospel from the Lord in the book of Galatians, we find him confessing to have a direct revelation. Likewise, here also the direct revelation has come from the Lord unto Paul. But it's not been more than 20 years 
since the crucifixion of Christ. The night he was betrayed was not more than 20 years old. And in 20 years, the people had gone far away from the truth. Imagine how far people would have gone in 2000 years. In 20 years, the Lord's Supper was desecrated. That's why Paul uses a particular phrase over here. And he says that in verse 19, in verse 20 he says, Therefore when you come together in one place, whatsoever you're doing, what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. I don't know what gymnastics you're doing in your church, but whatever you call that stuff is not the Lord's Supper. That was the kind of rebuke that Paul was bringing on to the church of Corinth. So 20 years, man is able to take that which is most holy and crush it underfoot in just... 20 years. There are only two ordinances that the Lord Jesus gave to the church to follow perpetually. The first one is baptism and the second one is the Lord's Supper. Only two ordinances and one of them or rather, both of them have been destroyed at human hands. Look at the variety of baptisms we have right now. You have baptism by sprinkling. You have baptism by pouring a cup of water on your head. You have all manner of baptism. And likewise, the Lord's Supper is also being desecrated. Only two ordinances to the church... And both have been ruined at the hands of sinful men. So my endeavor today is to help us to see what the Bible says. It's a real horror what is happening in Corinth. Verse 30 to 30, 30 and 34, the Lord says that because of certain things that you are doing, Lord's chastisement is upon the church. Some are weak, many are sick, and a number have fallen asleep. Now that's a New Testament way of saying many have died. Lazarus sleeps. Stephen slept. So many have even died because of desecrating the Lord's table. Now, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says that the apostles, they gathered together the people. Verse 41 says that it was immediately after the baptism that people joined the church. So one of the things I want to ask you is that have you joined this church after your baptism? If you're not baptized, what stops you from being baptized? Verse 41 says that then the Lord added to the church daily them that were being saved. And once they were saved, there were four things that they did. Number one, they continued in the apostles' teaching. 
two in fellowship three in the breaking of bread and four in prayer therefore the third of these three is that they were breaking bread as a family as a fellowship daily this was what was happening in the first century church now why were they doing it daily it's because people who got converted into christianity in that first century were mostly jews and they could not go back home so they had to stay with the brethren and when they stayed together they had to break bread and that's why you read later on in the book of acts that people started selling their things and provided for the church so that's the reason why people were breaking bread daily but then by apostolic ordinance by the teaching of the apostles in acts chapter 20 let's read acts chapter 20 by the time we read we reach paul's missionary journey in fact the third journey we find that the practice has moved to celebrating it on the lord's day verse 7 now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread paul ready to depart the next day spoke to them and continued his message until midnight so don't worry we'll not continue till midnight but then look at the verse over there why did the disciples come together was it to hear paul or was it to break bread when the disciples came together to break bread so the breaking of the bread was of emphasis to the church and then that occasion was used by a preacher to preach about Christ so the disciples came together for the lord's table now nobody asked the church to do it on the first day even now there is no ordinance in the bible how often you could break bread you could do it every day and there's no ordinance where you need to break bread in none of the scriptures that we read does it say that you need to break bread in church you could do it at home when two or three are gathered together in his name he is there break bread but that's not the point over here the point is how do we get back to the biblical foundation of having the lord's supper in a way that does not belittle the purpose for which the lord ordained the lord's supper now historically what was happening in corinth was that these people got together and they had a potluck you bring something i bring something and we eat together 
that was known as an agape meal a love feast and at the end of that it went into the lord's supper the breaking of bread but then what was happening at that feast was that the rich would bring plenty but then before the poor came they would begin to eat it all and when the poor came they would say sorry you're late and then when there was wine fruit of the wine to drink they used to take it in excess and become drunk so the breaking of bread that followed the lords uh, the love feast was a time when these people number 1 were already full they were gluttonous they were selfish they were inconsiderate of others and they were drunk verse 18 says i believe that there are even factions among you so it was a totally messed up situation in corinth when they approached the lord's supper and at that point of time paul says whatever you're doing there it's not the lord's supper and then he brings out this gem of a passage which is the largest exposition of what the lord's supper is jesus instituted this the apostles perpetuated this and that's why we are following it so let's basically ask four questions or four or five questions as time helps us number 1 what is the lord's supper what is its significance what does it mean and what is the biblical position for observing the lord's supper number 2 what does it signify what does it stand for 3 who may partake of it number 4 how may we partake of it and by the grace of god the lord will help us to look at all this from a biblical perspective we'll examine two lines of evidence number 1 the original institution by the lord and number 2 the perpetuation of this by the apostles through precept and also through practice number 1 the original command let's turn to luke 22 the parallel passages are found in matthew 26 mark 14:24 to 25 matthew 26:26 to 30 but we'll turn to luke 22 14 through 19 and it's in the gospel of luke where the clearest connection is made between the old testament and this new ordinance the clearest connection what is happening in the upper room is the last passover and the first lord's supper Luke 22 and we turn to verse 14 When the hour had come he sat down and the 12 apostles with him and he said to them with fervent desire I have desired to eat this what 
Passover. So he was celebrating the Jewish Passover. And he says, with you before I suffer, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, after the Passover, he begins the Lord's Supper. It was not that he did not celebrate the Passover. Because he wanted to celebrate the Passover. He said with fervent desire, I want to celebrate this with you. And after eating, now he takes another cup and he blesses it. He takes bread and he blesses it. So this is the original institution by the Lord. The Lord has now begun what is known as the Lord's Supper. There are five or six words used over there, which is the exact replica you find that in 1 Corinthians 11. But then the new, this is a new meal with new significance and a new partaking. It, it's, it's not a roasted lamb anymore, but it's bread. And it's not escape out of Egypt anymore. It is remembrance of the Lord. What did the Lord say? Do this. In remembrance of me. But when the Passover lamb was killed on that day. In the book of Exodus we find that it was. You are now being taken out of Egypt into the promised land. That was the Passover. And now the Lord institutes something. A new meal with new significance and a new covenant. He lifts up the cup and says this is the new covenant which is in my blood. So there's the blood that ratifies the covenant. So that was what the Lord was doing. Now, let's, let's look at this. What did Jesus say? A specific act had to be done. What was the act? Breaking of bread. You have to take a bread and break it. It's not what the Roman Catholics have made it to be a transubstantiation. You are not breaking the body of Jesus. Jesus did that himself. So any priest who stands in his vestment and he takes a wafer, lifts it up and says, this is the body of Jesus broken for you, is blaspheming against the Bible. Because that is not the body of Jesus. He took a bread, a simple bread. He didn't even say it should be unleavened. Bread is taken, broken and said, do this in remembrance of me. This is not me. This is what to be done 
in remembrance. And there was the Lutheran view that Jesus somehow becomes a partner with you when you take part in that Lord's Supper. That's a heresy of itself. The position is come together, break bread, which represents his broken body. It is not him. It's a symbolic representation. So number one, it's a simple act of taking normal bread, but set apart for his use. It is to be done continually. Do this in remembrance of me. How often? Well, how often do you want to remember Jesus? Do it that often. And it is to be engaged in by the participants in his absence. So that's another view that when you lift up the wafer, Jesus somehow comes down from heaven, lies down on the altar once again, and the priest now has the opportunity to break the body of Jesus is blasphemous. He says that do this in remembrance of me till I come. That means I have not yet come. So whatever they are doing next door is a transgression of the written word. And please, if you have friends, lead them to the scripture and show them that you are to escape such blasphemies. Number two, let's move on to the how the apostles brought this out. We saw that in the practice. They practiced it. Acts chapter 2, they practiced it. Acts chapter 20, they practiced it. But then, not just the practice, what is the precept? We find that in 1 Corinthians 11. The precept was given. The command was given. The apostolic emphasis was given. Paul was commanding the church to observe the Lord's Supper. And he was saying, number one, it is by divine authority. He said, I have delivered unto you what I have also received. That the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Now isn't that wonderful? On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread. Even now, there are those that are betraying Jesus that come and partake of the Lord's table. Is it ironical? On the night that he was betrayed, you could have easily said on the night of the Passover or on the night before his crucifixion. But the Holy Spirit put the word betrayed so that it will ring in your mind and mine that one of them betrayed Another one denied and the other ten fled. Is it any wonder that 20 years from that night we have betrayers? 2,000 years from that night we have betrayers. In the night, so number one, it was given by the Lord. Number two, it was consisting of several activities. One, involving the breaking of bread. Two, involving the drinking from the cup. 
Now what's in the cup? The fruit of the wine. Three, remembering the Lord. These are things that you do when you come for the Lord's Supper. And this is what Paul has commanded through the Holy Spirit. And it's a memorial of his death. The clearest presentation of the gospel, non-verbal presentation of the gospel is your baptism and the Lord's Supper. You could proclaim the gospel in a lot of ways, but if you go up to the, to the tank or pond or wherever you do your baptism, you are in fact preaching the gospel non-verbally. You are saying, Jesus Christ is my life, therefore I have died. And even as Christ has risen, I will rise again. Is that not the gospel? And the Lord's Supper is non-verbal proclamation of the gospel, saying that this is his body broken. I remember his death, but he did not remain dead. He is coming again, so I do it till he comes. So if you've not taken your baptism and you are proclaiming the gospel, I think you are doing yourself a disservice. What kind of gospel are you preaching which you yourself have not proclaimed non-verbally? I'll leave that for you to think. Quickly, some thoughts on the communion. Nowhere in scripture can we find that the Lord's table is a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice, it's a commemoration. It's a recollection. It's a participation. It's a declaration. But it's not a sacrifice. It's not a reenactment of the death of Jesus. It is simple yet profound, done with simple bread yet sanctified. That's why if any of us find a piece of that bread on the floor, we pick it up. Not because that piece of bread has got any value more than the bread you cook at home, but because it has been prayed over, sanctified, representing the blood, the body of Jesus. Bread is bread, it smells like bread, it tastes like bread, it has to be bread. Therefore, if someone says there's a miracle happening in Italy where that wafer became flesh, pray for that person. It's demonic, barbarous. When we partake of that, we are not partaking of his flesh. Please, we are partaking of the bread. Don't refer to it as, I am partaking of the flesh of Jesus. John chapter 6 is what preachers often quote for saying that he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life and I will raise him on the last day. John chapter 6 verse 40 and verse 54. But what Jesus was saying is that when you eat my flesh 
and you drink my blood. It means that when you appropriate me to yourself by faith. That's it. He explained that in clear terms in verse 40. Go home and look it up. John chapter 6 verse 40. Seeing is Jesus. Seeing and believing Jesus, you will have eternal life and he will raise you up. That's 6.40. 6.54 says, eating and drinking, you will have eternal life and he will raise you up. What was Jesus saying? Was he saying two ways to have eternal life? Two ways to be raised up at the last day? No. In one he was saying in plain terms, see, believe. And in the other he was using figurative terms, eat, drink. And the Jews also made the same mistake. They said that how can we eat his body? There's not enough to go around. So please don't refer to it as the flesh. You might have referred to it when you were part of the Catholic Church. But now in a born again church you have not partaken of his flesh. You have partaken of the bread. But... In faith you have partaken of his flesh. You see the difference? That you do when you are born again. Not when you come for communion. Unless you got born again at the communion. Which is highly unlikely and which is unscriptural. So you appropriate the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that you take it as your own and you say, My God, your flesh was given for me. My God, your blood was shed for me. What you've done is that you've appropriated it for yourself. You've become born again. And after that, the bread represents Jesus Christ's death. So please don't refer that I ate the flesh and especially don't say that to your unbeliever friends they'll think you've turned cannibals in fact one of the accusations in the roman empire against christians was that they eat human flesh because they were saying to to nero that these guys you don't know what they are up to but when they gather they say something like eating the flesh of one jesus Let's move on. Number two, what is the significance of the Lord's Supper? Not what is the Lord's Supper, but what is the significance? Why do I need to do this? Or what does this constitute? It has to be guarded vehemently. I am saying vehemently because Paul guarded the gospel aggressively. Read Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 onwards. He says that if any man preach to you any other gospel other than that what I have preached unto you, let him be forever accursed. He protected the gospel vehemently. You and I need to protect the Lord's table with the same aggression. And here... There are three key words. All the scripture concerning the Lord's table, and there are not many, there are only a handful of scriptures concerning the Lord's table, can be put into three key words. I'll give you the three key words. Number one, recollection, remembrance, or commemoration, if you so want. It's a recollection. Number two, it's a participation. 
Number three, it's a declaration. So what's a recollection? It is to call into your conscious mind. A, A calling into your conscious mind, what? The person and the finished work of Jesus. When Jesus broke bread and he gave, he said, do this in remembrance of me. So what do you need to remember? You need to remember Jesus. Now how do you need to remember Jesus? Not Jesus was a good prophet, a good teacher, he broke bread. The same mistakes that the people did in John chapter 6, following Jesus for all the good things. Jesus said, do not chase after bread that perishes, but labor for the bread that leads to eternal life. The same remembrance is asked of you and me over here. That we remember, remember what? Jesus. Jesus in all his manifestation? No, Jesus in his manifestation as the Messiah. As the lamb that was slain for my sins. That's the remembrance that Jesus instituted on that day in the upper room. That's what he wants you and me to recollect, to bring to the fore of our mind. And how can we recollect if our mind is taken off by Twitter, Facebook and WhatsApp? In church. What are you recollecting? The one who bore the cross for your sins and mine? Call to remembrance. And you see, I I see a thought over here. God wants me to think about him. Is that too much to ask? Of my bridegroom. That my bridegroom wants me to think about him. Is that too much that your wife expects out of you? And imagine you are thinking of another woman. What would you be called? Adulterer? Adulteress, remember me, remember me. Not a casual, I'm sorry Lord, but remember what he did. Not the miracles, not the breaking of bread for the 5,000 The feeding with the five loaves and two fish. Not the walking over the sea. Not the multitudes of fish that were brought into the boat. But remember Christ on the cross crying out, Eloi! Remember me. The person and the work of Jesus. Specific to his Messiahship. That's remembrance. Number two, participation. 
communion is a word you receive when you participate with the lord we find that in 1st corinthians 10 and verse 16 let's quickly turn to that 1st corinthians 10 and verse 16 now Paul was not directly addressing the communion here. What he's addressing is a subject he began in chapter 8, which is food offered to idols, meat sold in the marketplace that has already been offered to pagan idols. This is what he's dealing with. He brings that thought through and he brings it over here. And he says in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the what? Communion of the blood of Christ, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That means that when you partake of that body and when you partake of that blood, the bread and the wine signified by the bread and the wine, what you are doing is that you are having fellowship with the Lord. You are having fellowship with the Lord. When you walk down the aisle, stand here in front, when you take a piece of that bread and take that, take that uh, fruit of the wine and when you partake of this, did you know that you are having fellowship with the Lord of heaven and earth? And how dare we come flippantly? How dare we treat the blood of Christ as a thing of insignificance? Participation. Remembrance, participation. You know something else? When Christ gave that cup, I see something beautiful over there. I see God wanting the disciples to have fellowship with him. Do you see that in the scripture? Take, eat. Come on. It's broken for you. Come. Take, eat. What a beautiful picture of Jesus himself inviting you and me to have fellowship with him. It's a participation. It's a remembrance. And in remembering, you participate with him. You participate along with what your brother is doing as well. So what's this? How do you do this participation? In faith. How else? You can't do it physically because he is not here with us physically. He said that I will not eat of this nor drink of this unless I do it with you. I see something beautiful over there. It says that Lord wants to do this with us. Have you longed for a communion recently? You could have it every day. In your own study. But then there is a joy in participation along with your brother. 
So when you are standing here and the brother on your left and on your right is also participating, do you know what you are doing? You are proclaiming that we are the heirs of God's kingdom and we are celebrating it together. So though you may do it in your study, there is greater joy when you find that you are doing it with your cell leader. With your pastor, with your wife, your husband, your own son or daughter. What a joy to participate. Number three, it's a declaration. It's a declaration. Let's read verse 26. It's a beautiful verse. 11, 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. The word translated proclaim from the Greek means you preach. You are preaching. We find the same word used in the book of Acts multiple times. You proclaim you preach. That means that you and I become a bunch of preachers. And what do we preach? We preach the gospel. We preach Christ. And not just Christ in any of his manifestations. But we preach Christ in his death. It's a declaration. We declare we declare that God I cannot do without you. I need you as my savior. I receive the broken body. I receive the blood. When you are standing here and when you receive the communion. You are preaching the gospel. And you know what? When you look over your shoulder. Your brother is also preaching the same gospel. Your wife is preaching the same gospel. You preach. And who am I preaching to? Primarily I am preaching to myself. I am preaching to myself. Because I know I need the gospel. I don't know about you, but I need the gospel. I need to be reminded daily that it's not my strength, but his strength in me. You are proclaiming it to one another. You're telling your brother, you're telling your pastor, Pastor, you see this? I need Jesus. And I'm declaring that he died for me. Jesus used a particular phrase. He said, this is my body broken and he didn't stop for you. It was not for himself. For you. You might say, I don't need it. Still it's broken. It's your problem if you don't take it. It's broken for you. Take, eat. Three, we preach it to the unconverted. 
Imagine a bunch of unbelievers sitting over there. You know what you're doing when you come up front? You're telling them, I need Jesus. You see, this is what we do over here. It's a visual representation of the faith you have in the redeeming work of Jesus. My hope is built on nothing else but on Jesus' blood and on His righteousness. That's what you're proclaiming when you come up front. To an unconverted world, they must be asking, what is this Christians doing? What are they doing? And then you are telling them, this is how we reassure ourselves that Christ died for me and I keep doing this till He comes because I know He will come. Where else do you find such a memorial? In which other religion have you seen such a memorial raised up to a Messiah giving you hope every day that he is going to come? In which other faith? There are acts of wishful thinking. There are acts which people do to... to kind of ask God for forgiveness or to get good merits with the Lord. But here we come up front, take part of the communion and we say, God, it is on your merits that I am depending. Where else do you find this? Which worldview has got such an offer? And number four, we declare it to the principalities and to the powers. We are telling them, Christ died and I am partaking of his death, but he is coming again. You better watch out. Thirdly and very quickly, who must participate? Number two, two points over there. Who must participate? Only those who have been united with Christ through profession of their own sinfulness and God's gracious power of salvation. Only those who are born again, in short. If you are not born again, you have no business here. I mean, not in this church. You have no business at the Lord's table. Number two, only those... Now you need to get me correct over here. Only those who are part of a fellowship. Now that means that if you are part of a fellowship, that means you are also a brother or a sister. That means that the same blood of Jesus has washed you also clean. Therefore, if you are part of a fellowship and if you are born again, you are welcome. Now born again would also mean that you need to be water baptized. How else would you declare that's why time and again from here we have said that if you have not been water baptized, we please ask you to refrain. Why? Because if you can't symbolize your, your death with Christ in the waters of baptism, what are you going to symbolize over here? If you are not convinced about baptism, how can I convince you about the Lord's table? 
If you say that I have been sprinkled when I was a little child, where did you find that sprinkling in the Bible? So just two qualifications. We quickly move to the fourth one. How must I come? 27 to 34. We don't have time to go through it all. 27 verse 27 to 34. There's a central issue over here. The central issue is that the Corinthians were participating unworthily. I think we just read to need at, read at least verse 27. Verse 27 says, Therefore, now therefore is a connector which helps you to look backwards on all that has been said so far. Whenever you find a word therefore, you need to ask what it is there for. So you, what has been said so far? It is instituted by the Lord. It, is, it consists of bread and fruit of the wine. And it has been given by apostolic ordinance. And it represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it has to be taken in part of, as, as remembrance, as participation, as declaration. Because of all that... Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord, now mark this, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. How may I partake of this? If you have a biblical conviction, now I'm not talking about uh, self-assessed, I am checking my own checkboxes kind of conviction, but a biblical conviction that I am not participating unworthily, then you may come forward. The only qualification over here or the central issue over here is the reception or the receiving of the communion in an unworthy manner. Now the manner is explained negatively. It says don't accept it unworthily. And it's also explained positively. But if a man examines himself. So two other qualifications. Examination, discernment. You find that in verse 28 and 29. But if a man examine himself. Not just bowing your head and examining, Lord, have I sinned against you? But examine yourself in a more concrete manner. Have I sinned against my brother who will stand next to me? That's what the Corinthians were offensive about. They were offending because they had sinned against one another. You don't wait for the poor. You eat your food well in advance. You are drunk. You are gluttonous. You are not just sinning against the Lord. You are sinning against the one who stands next to you receiving the same communion. Therefore, don't just bow your head and confess your sins to God. Go and make restitution with your brother who needs to stand with you over here. It's a shame. It's a shame when Christians have unforgiveness. It's a shame when Christians are in debt. It's a shame when we are caught living in a situation that the Lord would not be proud of. And yet we come up front and receive it in an unworthy manner.
how may i receive it receive it worthily examine yourself what has been your preparation before you came on the first friday of every month what has been your preparation on thursday night examine yourself what kind of jokes were you saying the whole week what kind of movies were you watching and then you come and stand and say lord i remember you i participate with you i am declaring your death hypocrisy examine yourself because when you judge yourself you will not come under under judgment we'll have to close now so the central concern was receiving it unworthily the escape given by the lord was self examination discernment of the body discern what you are doing i mean bring to your faculties bring to the front of your thoughts what you are doing over here why am i rising up from my seat and walking forward to receive a piece of bread and and a small glass of juice why am i doing it discern and as you discern if you feel you need to sit down sit down because people did not sit down and that's why they are weak they are sick and some have even died but then the beautiful thing of all this is that the unworthiness is not a, an adjective the word unworthy is an adverb it's not an adjective it's not that i am unworthy we are unworthy we are unworthy none of us is worthy to come to the throne of grace but it is through his merits that we come so the unworthiness does not talk about the person but it talks about the way in which you come i have seen people walk this aisle with chewing gum in their mouth i have seen you whatsapping and then you get up to receive the communion beware some have fallen asleep because of the desecration of the lord's supper but the beauty of this all is that God still wants us to come. He says, this is my body broken for you. If you don't come, who will come? Therefore, examine yourself. Judge yourself. Plead the blood of Christ 
and say, God, I am unworthy. You have made me worthy through the blood of Jesus. I have sinned. Forgive me. Go to your brother and say, if any one of you find that her brother has ought against you, let him leave the gift at the altar and then go to his brother and make restitution and then come and offer the gift. Matthew 5.18 and onwards. My brother, forgive me. I cannot come to the table unless you forgive me. Here is your money that I had taken from you. Here is the thing that that I had cheated you on. Please forgive me because I need fellowship with my Savior. And then you examine yourself. You come here. And the, the cup that is meant to be a blessing will remain a blessing in the name of Jesus. And the bread which is meant to be a blessing shall be a blessing in Jesus' name. Therefore, next time you come, and we have an opportunity in two weeks' time, would you come worthily? Unworthy that we are, would you yet come worthily? Remembering the Lord Jesus, participating in fellowship with Him, declaring His death till He comes. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We appreciate you because you said we should do it in remembrance of you. For the grace for us to honor that awesome sacrifice that you too prayed. The grace for us to do it the way you want it. So there will be a, a beneficiary of the reward. Receive in Jesus' name. Everyone that has been taking this table unworthily, Lord, I pray that you help us to discern and to be fully prepared so that we will not be among them. Say, many of you even sleep because you took the bread unworthily. Please help us that we will not take poison, thinking we are taking nutrients. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your servant that you use. Pray that you will refresh him in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's be on our feet. I will just remind us, and many of us when we come for Holy Communion, we love to pray in front, before and after. It is wonderful. But please, because of the time the church has, very short time. Let's cooperate with the ushers. As you come, take the bread and the cup and go back to your seat to pray. Not go back and be talking and be discussing. You have time to pray on your seat. So we come, we take it, take the bread and the wine, then go back to pray, not to play, not to discuss. And you have enough time to do it. And as you do it, the Lord will bless us in Jesus' name. So please, let's prepare ourselves in holiness, in purity, as we come two weeks' time to partake of the table. Pray and fasting tomorrow. Let's remember.
We have refreshment outside provided by the family of Brother Michael for us. If you have meetings, church meeting we did this week, please make sure you attend today or Monday or any other day you have any meetings. Make sure you are there. The Lord bless each and every one of us in Jesus' name. And we share the grace together. One, two, go. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Holiness and peace, you are blessed in Jesus' name.